This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount Plus. I'm in a period of emotional people. Let's have all the oh, I don't care crap. A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm gonna steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG 13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Terramont Plus. On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders. Was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Bare Naked ABCs, where we review every song from 7 to Y. But maybe B&L will do a song on their next album that starts with Z, so uh, who knows. Things do change. <laughs> Sometimes, a lot of things change all at once. Sometimes uh, everything has changed. Everything is strange. Sometimes it feels like, you know, it's like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to get dig myself too deep a hole here. But yes, of course, we are talking about... The Bare Naked Ladies song, Everything Had Changed. Then, one day, I was not alone. Everything had changed. Everything was strange. Everything had changed. Everything was strange. Speaking of which, I am joined this week by my co-hosts. Michelle. And Tracy. And we have a special guest this week from the Disney podcast, All About the Mouse. We have Brian Ripper. Uh, yes, thank you, Brian, hey, for being yay. here. Thank you guys so much for the invitation. I tell you what, I have quickly become a fan of your guys' show. You know, I, I do this little Disney podcast and through the Filling the Void network, you know, that, that we're mm. uh, kind of on uh, as well as with you guys, I kind of found out about you guys and I said, whoa, there's there's Bare Naked Ladies podcast <laughs> and like, because I'm, I'm a huge B&L fan. And so, yeah, I, I love what you guys do here. And I was super thrilled uh, to, to get invited on the show. Thank you guys. Of course, we're, we're happy, happy to, to have, have you. Here. I, I now I have to go and check your show out because I'm a huge Disney fan, as is my fiance. No <laughs> lie, we got engaged at Disney World uh, just yep. last year. Congrats! On Halloween. Yeah, thank you. We were uh, we were dressed up as Jack and Sally, and we went and oh. met Jack and Sally as Jack and Sally, and I got on. That's so cool. And proposed to her, and uh, yeah, it was really really fun. So. Yeah, we love Disney. We're all about it. So I'm very much looking forward to hearing your podcast. You'll have to tell Aaron how many episodes Uh-oh. of your podcast Uh-oh. you're currently on. Though. Uh, I, I think <laughs> I'm trying to, trying to remember off the top of my head. I think I released episode 467 uh, today as we are recording this. So, well, you know, we, we started out doing a weekly show. So to be fair, we would do like an hour and a half weekly show with, you know, multiple different segments. Yeah. And I said, you know, instead of doing that about a year and a half ago, I decided let's like do, sized. yeah, let's do like three 30 minute episodes. And so we release a Monday, Wednesday and Friday. So for a year cool. and a half, oh, wow. we've been doing three episodes a week. So it sounds like it's more than it is, but it's still like a gazillion hours of <laughs> editing. a lot of time, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. We know. I'm sure Tracy knows. <laughs> so... Well, I just got done listening to your episode today where you interviewed Gaston. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Really great. Yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. We've actually um, we've been very very fortunate to uh, be able to interview some some really uh, cool not only voice talent, of course, you know uh, the the voice of Gaston, but we also got to interview uh, interview Paige O'Hara at one point, who uh, actually a couple times who played the voice of Belle from Beauty and the Beast, as well as right, Jodie Benson, good. the Little Mermaid, and and uh, even wow. some animators and producers and things like that. So I, we uh, really fortunate. I love uh, you know you guys may know the name Don Hahn, who was uh, a big-time producer with Disney, who produced The Lion King, which is my favorite Disney yeah. movie of all time. 
so anyway, so yeah, and you know, not every not every episode is a is a huge interview like like that, but uh, every now and then we do get a chance to uh, you know get to interview these people, and it's it's really really cool. If you ever have something, uh, anything that's even remotely Nightmare Before Christmas related, please let me know because uh, Becca would be very irate if I did not uh, try and get involved with that in some way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. It, it, uh, we could talk more about this off air, but I've, I've got a, uh, yeah, I, I, I've got a couple things you might be interested Excellent. in. We'll, we'll check it out. I was going to say The Lion King is probably my favorite Disney movie of all time. The original when it came out, like I had a poster in my in my late twenties. I had a poster of the Lion King <laughs> in my bedroom, and I took the poster to the store to get matching paint for the sunset color and painted my walls oh, that nice. color. Totally into it. Plus, I'm a Leo, so and my husband is a Leo, <laughs> and you know all of the whole lion stuff comes up. Um, but I'd be interested to know what you think about the live action Lion King that's coming out. So I, I have an interesting take on it, actually, because, uh, you know, obviously without seeing it, I've seen the trailer and the trailer looks really good. And John Favreau is doing, you know, this version, the live action remake of The Lion King. And I thought he did a great job with the live action remake of Jungle Book. And uh, he actually made a cognizant effort to keep things very, very close to the original without trying to remake the Jungle Book. And I think that approach is going to be the same approach he's going to take with The Lion King. But, uh, you know, a lot of Disney fans, you know, people and, you know, who I call like the community, <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of people in the community, which really just means nerds like me, um, you know, a lot of people actually are really, uh, really nervous about this because The Lion King is such a fan favorite. And you would think that, like, I, I'm actually really excited about it because I'm like, yes, this is going to be really cool. But a lot of people are really nervous, like, no, 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 no. That movie is so good. Don't mess with it. Um, but I, I, I'm actually really excited for it. I can't wait. Nice. I'm a stickler, so I'm skeptical about it. I'm sort of the old curmudgeon, get off my lawn. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? So I, I'm willing to see it and be open-minded about it. But I, when I saw the trailer, my jaw dropped. I was like, what the actual... Well, M- Michelle, that, that, I, I was just going to say that doesn't surprise me. And, you know, and, and knowing how you feel about another postcard, I love that ah! song. <laughs> I love another postcard. But anyway. Me too, Brian. I like that one. I love it. I, lo- I mean, especially because I, I know we're not here to talk about this song, but it, real quickly, I just have to say, I mean, they did it as a spoof on like pop song, you know, like the the, the Justin Timberlake and, you know, that kind of like pop music of the time, yeah. you know, so I kind of saw it as like, not like, oh, Bare Naked Ladies is sold out. Like they, they did it as a spoof on that, or at least the beginning. But anyway, <laughs> you, you totally nailed it because my sort of resistance to the Lion King live action is coming from the same place as my disdain for another postcard so it's you totally got that right like that's exactly what that is (laughs) but but you know what in all seriousness though i understand it i really do i understand the sentiment uh i just happen to be like the kind of person that like i just i get really excited for things um i don't get apprehensive i guess so we'll we'll see we'll see but i think like i said i think they got the right guy doing it uh john favreau uh, some of the voice talents, uh, I'm, I'm a little curious about. I mean, you know, that throwing Beyonce in there, and uh, you know, I kind of thought that was a little, little interesting. Uh, but I mean, hey, they got James Earl Jones back for the voice of Mufasa. With how could you go with anyone you else? Can't, yeah. You can't. Yes. I would have been up in arms. I would have yeah. stormed onto your podcast and had my own episode about it. Um, well, so. it, it, if after you see it, if you feel a need to vent, l- let me know. We'll, we'll get you on the show and we'll, we'll, we'll do a show together. Okay. Perfect. That sounds awesome. If you haven't seen Aladdin yet, though, Michelle, go out and see Aladdin. That will make you feel better because I actually really enjoyed it. But you have to put the idea of Genie being Robin Williams <laughs> that's, that's behind really you hard and just to kind do. of relax into it it is it's very hard to do but if you can do it and just realize that everything had changed <laughs> yeah, then nice. you'll enjoy the song <laughs> nice segue tracy nice segue way to bring us back back on track i don't like that everything changes it's like hop on that segue and roll off down the road 
um, okay. That so, was pretty smooth. This is a Cregan Page Robertson collaboration, and uh, Tracy, we're, we're we're collaborating and sharing some notes here. So I did see that it was from Bare Naked Ladies Army. However, I will admit I did not guess it correctly, but I was pretty close. I think uh, I actually guessed it was Bare Naked Ladies Are Men. Which which one came out first? Just like the same era, well, right? Well, same. They recorded them all at the same time. They just decided to split it and. Oh, they did. Okay. Do it as a two album. It was supposed to be a double a double album release to begin. So like Metallica with. did Load and Reload. <laughs> okay, so I feel pretty good about that guess. Then I feel pretty good. So I'll tell you what. Since everything has changed. Tracy, I'm going to throw it to you for the breakdown. Why don't you break it down for us? Breakdown. Go ahead, give it to Breakdown, it's all right. It's all right. It's all right. All right. Right away. The accordion, or maybe it's the melodica or the concertina, in, in the intro reminded me, I, I guess me, <laughs> of Rain Dogs by Tom Waits. I know, I, I am totally a Tom Waits fan. That sounds like something I would say, yeah. <laughs> now, that's not a good thing for this song, because someone, I think it's really me, I really, really love mm, Rain Dogs by Tom Waits. It's a great song, and... My band used to cover Wait, it back in the you college too? years. I had a band that covered that I did, song. Yeah, that's, I had a band. So, did you not wow, know that? coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> Having said that, a wealth of other instrumentation is included, included mm. a nastified, filtered banjo that comes in and makes the song so much richer and more interesting soon afterwards. It's another one of those songs with a lot of different facets and many stylistic in- influences. Everything Had Changed was recorded at approximately 172 beats per minute. It was written in the key of E minor. The intro has a really nice flair and dances around the melodic minor, then landing hard on the tonic E minor mm. for the verse. The verse is structured mostly around a 1471 progression with E, the tonic, moving to the A minor, the fourth degree, then up to D, the seventh, which wants to very strongly resolve back to the one. This forms a bulk of our time in the verse segments. The chorus, for the most part, is the same, except that the first line has this great D-sharp diminished seven, which is is a passing tone, so you get this wonderfully chromatic progression from the 4th to the minor 7th to the major 7th, which is non-diatonic to the standard minor scale, which also happens to be a diminished 7th, moving back up to resolve to the tonic E minor. Then the chorus pretty much bounces just back and forth between the 4th and the tonic, which gives it an almost Baroque feel. And if it ain't Baroque, don't fix it, am I right? (laughs) But seriously, this repetitive travel from the fourth to the tonic back and forth with slight variations, it it plays a little, I think, into the lyrics, which allude to everything being the same, but somehow different. The bridge gets very interesting. We have an A to the... mm, How do you say this part, Aaron? (laughs) Uh, I would call that an A-sus-2. An A-sus-2, okay. So we have an A to an A-sus-2 an F sharp, and then a B minor. These chords are diatonic, only to B minor, and are essentially a 2-5-1 turnaround back to B minor. And the B, of course, serves as the fifth degree of the original key, E minor. So it's very easy to land back on the E minor as the tonic. Oh, so we have a little key change there. Interesting. Yeah. (laughs) Now, as far as the form of the song goes, we have... That E minor intro, then verse 1, A, chorus B, verse 2, A, chorus B, and then we go to a bridge, C, with an implied key change to the B minor, an instrumental section with a verse changes A, verse 3A, chorus B, and then an outro that hammers on the A minor 7th, which is the 4th, 
before resolving to the one, which is an E minor of the tonic. So it's an A, B, A, B, C, A, A, B. Abba, cap. <laughs> Pretty standard pop rock form, but I would call it deceptively simple because there is, there is more than this that Rundown might have you believe. If you listen, there are interesting chord phrasings, substitutions, passing tones, and other techniques which give this song a very unique feel and tone. <laughs> wow, that was an outstanding <laughs> breakdown, Tracy. I could not have, have said that better myself. I, I believe that. you probably could have said it better yourself but you probably couldn't have worded it better (laughs) that made all the difference there was a there was a baroque pun in there (laughs) made me happy (laughs) all right so what did uh everybody else think about i loved it i to me Michelle? The intro, yeah. you know, listening as this is a song that really benefits from listening on your headphones. Yeah. Because what I mean, it was I loved it just through the stereo, but listening to it on my headphones, it made those opening strings so much richer and deeper. And then the banjo comes in and the accordion and you've got that bayou feel and then Steven's vocals come in and I just I love his sort of storytelling vocals in this song. It just, it made me think of um, mm-hmm. the As You Like It album that they did. That that same kind of evocative. Yeah, very evocative. Aaron, I swear, very, uh, you and I sometimes are so connected because evocative is, <laughs> evocative is the exact word I had written mind, down Michelle. on my notes. It just gives you such a feeling and such a visual um, for the song and the music and you know it's so good yeah i i envisioned like a smoky bourbon street new, new orleans, orleans. Or like paris i got a noir yeah. feel from this. like he was like a almost like a detective <laughs> you know i got a blade runner feel from this almost I was sent back to the bayou and the streets of New Orleans and Anne Rice's houses and the Garden District, and I wanted to have yeah. a cigarette and a vignette and just and a glass of wine. That sounds pretty good. Which yeah. I don't drink and making, I don't smoke, but I definitely would chow down on a vignette. But the song just really got me in my feelings, I guess you could say. So. Brian, what did you think? I am a really big, you know, obviously BNL fan. I'm a really big Jim Creekin fan. Mm-hmm. I actually play upright bass and I play upright bass. I didn't start, you know, when I was little or whatever. I, you know, I was a bass player in a band and I started listening to BNL and I'm like, holy cow, that bass sounds awesome. What is that? And I actually like went out and bought a double bass, you yeah. know, started, you know, learning how to play it nice. and everything and uh, played it actually in a band. And we actually did, uh, you know, we did top 40 covers, but we did several B&L songs and everything. So like, I'm, I'm a huge Jim Creekin fan. I actually got a chance to meet Jim, nice. um, you know, <gasps> at, at one point. And so what I love wow. about this, there's there's a couple things, a couple moments in B&L history for me that like listen to songs that I just kind of like, you know, freaked out. And one is I remember listening um, to Second Best from Everything to Everyone, and, you know, and when he comes in with that, like, you know, like this really cool bass line, I'm like, whoa, that's awesome. I like jumped up. I had I had that same feeling when he came in with the bass line on this because he plays it on the cello. Uh, he yeah. plays the bass line yes. on the cello and I'm like, whoa, mm, yes. and it sounds totally different totally unique and it's just like whoa that's awesome i i love it um so for for me like uh, the baseline alone just makes the song <laughs> makes the song mm. so a couple things so, so if i had to kind of critique it a little bit like there's things i love about this song and things i'm I, if it were me i would i would do differently one thing is i i'm not a super huge fan they started they started doing this thing where they kind of started experimenting with recording um songs with a condenser mic just like one condenser mic with the, the with the five of yeah. them kind of like huddled around they started doing this uh, i think yeah. it was on the uh the tour for everything to everyone you know where they come out and they would do like the acoustic version of one week it's like you make a chorus yeah and it, it, that sounds like that's how they recorded this song it sounds like it's just you know the five of them around uh the the condenser mic and i'm not it, 
I, I like that 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 was cool when they did it for like an acoustic version of one week or maybe for you like they had done in concert. But I don't like hearing that a lot. And they used it several times since then. And I'm not a big fan of it just because it, it really is a kind of an it's not something I would expect to hear on a on a produced album. You know, it's something I would expect to hear live in concert or like an MTV Unplugged or something like that. But, you know, other than that, you know, just the recording, I, I have a feeling they really like it. Like, they like the way it sounds and they kind of get to show off their harmonies uh, that way because they're all kind of doing, the, you know, they're performing live, you know, singing around the microphone and getting the harmonies. But t- to Michelle's point, like, this is a very different kind of feel of a song. It's it's not your typical Bare Naked Ladies pop song or rock song song it you know it is kind of a you know very uh, a very intimate kind of sounding song so uh, so I, you know yeah. I, I so i can see why they did it that way but just my preference of like if it was me i'm like man i would love to hear another recording of this but where they're all plugged in and everything's a little more overproduced but you know with that kind of like petty little critique aside um i i really i really like this song it's not my favorite song on the album but it it is definitely one of the one of the ones I really enjoy, and uh, lyrically, and I and I imagine there, there's probably a lot that we can get to lyrically in this. But lyrically, it's very strange. I've actually read online i've heard some people saying like no no this is a really positive song it's like he's saying like everything had changed he'd he'd pushed everyone away from him in his life and now you know then one day you know i was not alone and like it's it's good and but steve steve has a tendency to be very Uh, cynical uh and and you know what i actually love that I had a friend of mine who was telling, you know, he was a big BNL fan, but he was like, he's like, I just can't take like the cynicism though. It's so dark and like Steve is so negative and cynical. And I'm like, that's what makes it great. Like, exactly. I love the cynicism. That is exactly what makes it great. <laughs> yes. Indeed. Yeah. So, okay. It's, this is interesting. Would you say, Brian, then? Considering that they did a whole bunch of different instruments, they recorded it around a single microphone, that that for this song, everything had changed? Everything had changed in the sense that, I mean, sort of, but then they'd they'd done it before, you know? (laughs) Or at least I had heard it before, you know, and I I don't know. Like, to me, it wasn't new. It wasn't like, ooh, they did something they'd never done before. To me, it was like, okay, I, I... I liked it when you guys did the the live acoustic one week, you know, and then you segued into for for you, which kind of worked because that's a bluegrassy kind of acoustic type feel song. But I don't need to hear this on every album. <laughs> right. Mm. I think well, one of the things I think is interesting about this song is so they're known, you know, Jim is known for playing the upright bass, Kevin's known for playing the keys, sometimes a guitar. Of course, Ed is known for guitar, and and Tyler's known for drums. None of them play their normal instruments on this. I hadn't thought about that. You're right. We have Ed on banjo. We got Jim on cello. We have Kevin on accordion, and we have Tyler isn't doing any drums. He's snaps, doing snaps. Yeah, yeah, and in order to keep and, it going. I, I I haven't put my finger on it. I don't know. I believe it is an accordion of some type. I don't think it's it's your your typical accordion. I don't know if it's a. Uh, uh, well, I was thinking it was a concertina, well, perhaps. Yeah. yeah, it can't be a normal accordion. But in the in the liner notes that I've, I've been looking through, it says accordion, but they they don't specify. Like, yeah, like I don't I don't think it's a concertina just because I, I I've actually. Not very much, but I used to own a concertina and I played a little bit. And just the, yeah. it's definitely piano keys, type style keys. So like an accordion and not the buttons. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It, it might be like a like a, a soprano accordion or something like that. Or he could just be playing it like really up high. But well, it, you, it, you don't have the drone, yeah. so that's what I'm wondering. It, it almost sounds like a melodica, but the but the multi the polyphonic stuff that they play on it. Sounds really good. Maybe it's just a high quality melodica with like high air pressure or something. Yeah, and that that solo was awesome yeah. too. And the solo in the middle, yeah, it's great. I love it. Mm-hmm. It's so so moody. So okay, we were kind of blending the the lyrics and the music, but I think that's actually kind of appropriate for this song because it's, it's quite programmatic. Well, before we, as, before as we get over to that, are. real quick, can I interrupt um, you? Okay. There's one more yeah, thing please. I wanted to say about the music, and sure, I know sure. I know how you kind of feel about the beginning of this, Aaron. 
I yeah. actually like the beginning because it comes. Oh, I like the beginning oh, okay. too. <laughs> it starts. I'm just saying it really... reminds me of Rain Dogs, and that's a great song. So that's hard, <laughs> hard comparison. Kind of, kind of going programmatically. Like it starts off very, very somber, and then it changes. Like very suddenly, everything, everything changes, and it's like they're doing this with no, so many things during this song that they're just like, yeah. let's change this up, let's change that up, let's do this different. Um, and I, and I, I like that about this song that they're using that to go along with what they're trying to say. Oh yeah. My, my comment about rain dogs was simply imagine that it was the mid nineties and your name was Michael Jordan and you also played <laughs> basketball and you were really good, but you're not Michael Jordan. Right. You know what I you're mean? You're not the Michael Jordan. That's good. It's unfortunate. You're trying yeah. to be like so, Mike, but you're not. Mike. <laughs> well, okay. So here, here's the thing. I want to, I want to have open the discussion here. I wonder if the because because Barrington ladies, as we have seen, they don't stand on musical convention just because it's musical convention. They often do things in a conventional style, but they also stray away from them almost as often, especially in the early years. And I feel like a lot of times everything they do is very intentional. You know, especially I think during the Stephen Page oh, era, yes. there was a lot of this like Stanley Kubrick type meticulousness yes. where everything means something. Yes. Um, so because of that, I wonder if the chorus is repeated simply because it's the chorus, and that's kind of how choruses usually work in pop songs, or if the implication is with the lyrics that he keeps meeting someone who he thinks might be the one and change everything, mm. but he ends up alone again, and then he meets the next one, and then everything oh. is strange and changed again. So he has this bipolar cycle of romantic ups and downs, which changes outlook back and forth from gloomy to hopeful. I like uh, it. Having said that, there is something not quite sinister, but there's like a dark feel about this song. Mm -hmm. uh, like I said, it reminds me of like noir like fiction. And it kind of, there's something about this, and maybe it's because everything has changed and they keep saying everything has changed or everything has changed. Um, but it reminded me of a quote by Stephen King who said, Terror is when you come home and notice everything you own had been taken away and replaced by an exact substitute. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like Stephen King. <laughs> so I don't know. Or it could just be him reflecting on the before and after. But the song is minor and it's got this feel to well, it. So and, I wonder and you know what? That. There is definitely, I mean, from the very get-go... A sinisterness, if that's a word, I don't know if that's a word or not, but uh, a sinister vibe because, because, you know, you get uh, on the path of life. I wish you well. Okay. And then divergent journeys. We will meet again in hell. Yeah. In, meet again <laughs> yeah. in hell. I mean, it's kind of throwing all the yeah. window there. So. I'm going to end up hell. So are you. Oh, well. Yeah. <laughs> See you in hell, basically. And maybe it's, it's like John Wick when he's like, be seen. And maybe you. it's Steven talking about his own demons. Oh, yeah, we know that oh. Stephen's very honest about how he feels about himself. It's not always great. Uh, Stephen, please come on. The we show. love we you, you Stephen. Oh. Tell us what you were thinking when you wrote I this. Have a, <laughs> I have two decades worth of questions for you, Stephen Page. So yeah, I'm Michelle could. I'm going to. I am going to hog the episode when he comes on, just so everybody knows. <laughs> you know, it, it, you know, <laughs> I hugged it last time, so it's only and, fair. You know, and, and now, like, I'm kicking myself because, like, the, 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 uh, well, one of the times I, 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 I'm not bragging, but one of the times I got to meet Stephen Page in New York. It, and, like, this, he, he was there solo doing some promotion for the Vanity Project. And it was at a Barnes mm. and Noble, and we actually all sat, like, Indian style on the carpet. And he performed, and he did some BNL. He did some BNL stuff, oh, wow. and, he, and but this is when he was he was still married to, to Carolyn, and his wife and kids were there, and everything in the audience with us. But anyway, the time you know, I got to meet him. I got his autograph. I got to meet him, and all I could ask him was, "Hey, are there any cool places in New York that you recommend to eat?" <laughs> And now I'm thinking like, oh my gosh, there's all these questions I could have asked Steven about like the meaning of songs and lyrics and like all I could ask him like, hey, is there a really good piece? Because, you know, I know being in Canada and close to New York, they're in New York a lot. And I'm like, hey, is there a really good pizza place to eat? And uh, spoiler alert, he recommended some like frou-frou, like really like ritzy kind of pizza place and it was terrible. But anyway, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Hey, you need one of those big foldable Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle slices. Yeah, it was some place <laughs> over by like NYU, and it was like, hey, I want to get a pepperoni pizza. Like, um, we can do salami, and I'm like, uh, okay. <gasps> and it was like, 
We have a pepperoni. <laughs> yeah, it was it was it was pretty fancy, but uh, it was I, I much would have rather had like the Sparrows in in Times Square. Yeah. <laughs> well, nice. Sorry, that was my bragging. <laughs> I love your analysis on what this song is about, Aaron, because the only thing I have written for this song, even though I really, really like this song, and it, it is one of the few times that you'll actually hear this question come out of me when I really like a song by Bare Naked Ladies, mm. is what is this song really about? It's very mm. enigmatic. In that it's like it could be about a million and one different things. I like your take on it. Um, and actually, I just rose my rating a little bit because I was like, "Oh yeah, actually, like that rating that like gives it a whole new perspective on this." Um, but any other thoughts, like what the song might be about? So the line that stuck with me was, "One in rags and one in wealth." A solemn promise never to give too much of myself, despite the hopeful words I've said. I live my life inside my head. As someone who is unabashedly an introvert <laughs> that speaks to me uh i, I kind of understand because there are a lot of people in my life individuals who i, I love so much and have so much admiration for and, and i like being around them i enjoy but at the same time i really value my me time mm-hmm. i really value being able to process and kind of just a little bit of solitude every now and then so interesting this could also be about maybe somebody wanting to be more out there and and socially available and maybe struggling a little bit with social anxiety or just being an introvert you know everything changes when you walk out that door it's another really cool take on it wow brian what do you think i just want to kind of throw in there and just add that these lyrics definitely sound like steve page to me yeah oh yeah and i but i think we kind of assumed that like okay well steve wrote all these words he's the singer of the song but, you know, like, we we know that, like, from Sound of Your Voice, which he does such an amazing job on that song, that was a Kevin yeah. song, you know? Like, that was Kevin's Kevin's baby. But, but yeah. anyway, but knowing that there's, you know, three... I'm going to kind of, you know, give the benefit of the doubt and say these are probably mostly, if not all, Steve. But, you know, maybe there maybe there's some, um, some joint writing, yeah. you know, with the three of them writing lyrics, you know? Or that being said, <clears throat> you know, I, I think that we... Uh, definitely over the last several years have learned a lot about who Stephen Page is, you know, in, in his private life. And I think this makes sense. And, you know, I, I, I don't want to be too presumptuous and try to, like, think that, like, I can psychologically analyze someone who I, like, don't even really know, but just, you know, through interviews. But think about this time, you know, when the, when the song was written, when the song was recorded. I mean, here's somebody who, like, you know, the, the band at this point had been, what, had been together, like, 20 years at this point, everyone knows Stephen Page is this happy-go-lucky, like, jump around the stage, got you know, kind of guy. And we know that, like, you know, that might be very close to who some of them are, but that's not the only aspect of their life right. that they have. And, you know, he very right. this very well kind of resonates to me is that this might be somebody who's like, you know, because I'm very much like this as well. Like I'm, I consider myself an introvert. I, I do a, I do a podcast. I enjoy doing, you know, shows. I, you know, used to be in a band. I used to enjoy getting out and performing. And people would say like, what do you mean you're an introvert? I'm like, I, I'm totally an introvert. You know, I'll go to a party and I'm the guy, like, I just, I, I don't want to talk to people. I, you know, and, and I, we have this running joke at work, you know, like they'll be like, oh, you know, come on downstairs. We're going to have pizza and everything. And I'm like, do I have to talk to anybody? <laughs> <laughs> if I do, it's okay. I don't want free pizza. I'd just rather stay at my desk. And <laughs> but uh, but anyway, so but I I can kind of see you know Steve has lived this life, and I could be totally wrong here. This could be have nothing to do with it, what it's about. But in my head, I see this as like here's a guy who's lived this life on on stage, you know, like both figuratively and literally. And, you know, and there's more to him than this. You know, he may have issues. I mean, this is, I, I might be wrong, but I think this might have been somewhere around the time where him and his wife were splitting up. Um, you know, and this could be somebody who has had issues with, like, living that life out in the public eye and then at the same time not being able to or not being willing to open themselves up and be totally vulnerable with, with other people for successful relationships. And, you know, he constantly was finding himself alone, you, may, you know, other than maybe being in it. And, you know, you kind of picture like he can be in this band with five incredible guys on stage with all these thousands of people, but still feel very much alone. 
you know, and so that's my deep, deep analysis of this. That's what I like to think, you know, he's kind of coming from in this. But I do think it's coming from a dark place. Um, but the, the fun thing about, and this is why I say that this is what makes his cynicism so entertaining and so much fun for me, is because it's bare naked ladies. Like, even when they write a really dark song, it's still kind of fun, <laughs> you know, and and I, I think the instrumentation of this and the music of this uh, still makes this, you know, kind of a fun song to listen to. Yeah, indeed. No, I completely agree. You kind of ha- taking it from a, a similar kind of point of view of celebrity like that, that he's kind of different off stage than he is on stage. And I almost took it that Jim is the one that wrote a lot of the lyrics Ed and Steve played around with some of the music and played around with some of the background stuff and some had some ideas on how to produce it, but that it was mostly a Jim kind of thing. Jim is kind of the quiet one. We don't hear a lot from him. His songs mm. are very poetic, but also very enigmatic. I mean, I'm thinking of like In the Drink, very, very mm. similar. Spider in my room. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> like he and he is extremely creative and comes up with these very complex songs. Um, to me, this song is kind of like the gym version of Ed's song for you, where this person is very much like, I'm only going to let you see so much of myself. That's just my thoughts. Yeah, you could you could absolutely be right. And this is what, you know, they started doing this again, I think going back to the Everything for Everyone album, they started doing this where they started, mm-hmm. it was no longer just, you know, Paige and Robertson, where they all kind of started collaborating. And depending on the song, it could be all five of them, it could be two of them, it could be four, three of them, you know. And I, I th- they all kind of started doing more collaborations and collaborating. And uh, I think you started to hear that. Uh, I know that as a musician myself, one of the things I used, I used to love writing with other people um, because I was forced to kind of to write songs that I wouldn't I wouldn't normally write, you know, or I was forced to take songs in a direction that I would normally go in. And I and I thought it, it brought character, and I think a lot of it, I think you really started to see if you take everything after Maroon, you can almost see this dividing line there, uh, you know, of of the material, and you can almost kind of hear it, and uh, it's almost like a you know for better or for worse, depending on you know if you like that kind of thing or not, but you can kind of hear a, a definitely more more characteristic, and it, this could be this could be uh, Jim writing the words, maybe you know Steve. Um, you know, with the music, or Steve and Ed with the music, but um, but it, or or maybe they all kind of played a played a role, you know, equally with lyrics and music. It's it's that's one of those things I would love to see. You know, I would love to sit down with them and kind of ask them, like maybe once you guys are done with you know, going through the A to Z, you can go back through it again and figure out a way to get the band on for every <laughs> single song and ask them, okay, who wrote the words to this one? I'm who sure wrote the music? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god that'd be incredible that would be but incredible. yeah please uh, come on the show guys we know i don't you think listen, we've right? ever asked jim jim i'm sorry we know you listen so please come on the show we'd love to talk to you <laughs> i have well, such yeah. a bromance with with jim and it's a one-sided bromance <laughs> uh, <laughs> unrequited bromance <laughs> he has no idea who plus he's a ginger so you have to love him <laughs> i love jim and my my uh, appreciation for jim i mean I mean, it's it's not creepy, but it's more than musical. Like I I I love you know you, you mentioned the ginger. I love, love when he everything about. I him. love when he had the, when he looked like carrot top. You know, <laughs> the long red hair and like oh my gosh, he's he's just such a cool. He's a cool dude. I I love him musically. Jim and I went through the same hairstyles at the same time. Actually, which is kind of oh, yeah. you mentioned romance. And you mentioned so you a creepy, top and earlier Aaron had mentioned had mentioned Stephen King, so all I got going through my head was misery for a moment there. Mm. <laughs> oh, yeah. your number one fan. That's what you could do. You kidnap him and force him to write another album. I have to share my favorite Stephen King quote since you brought it up again. The, my favorite Stephen King quote is, the monster under my bed isn't real. I know that. And I also know if I'm very careful and keep my foot tucked under the blanket, there's no way it can get me in the night. Yeah. <laughs> that's not exactly correct, but it's that's a the, the, like that is so Stephen King. I paraphrased it, but that is so perfect. 
Power phrase. Yeah. It's better than a paraphrase. Yeah. It's an extreme paraphrase. So, Michelle, what's your take on the song? I am definitely looking at this song through a specific lens, and this is where my preamble to ratings comes in. So, I have been watching the show things we do in the shadows and i don't know if any of you guys have been watching it it's about these vampires that live in in staten island i've also just finished reading (laughs) the all souls trilogy which is um about these witches and vampires who live in europe and england and all over the country in the u.s um actually in upstate new york um probably close to Stephen Page in his home in upstate New York. Um, I also have read long ago the Interview with a Vampire series by Anne Rice. And every like I've got vampires all over me recently just from the media. And that's all as soon as I heard that accordion and the banjo, boom, I was transported to the bayou and I was transported to New Orleans and I was transported to that world. And and as I listened to the lyrics, all I could think about was the narrator of the song, who was Stephen, turning into a vampire. Ooh. And everything had changed. Like, that is because of the Pretty things, big change. It's a huge change. <laughs> and then I thought maybe he was Renfield, too. Like, I, you know, it could be this or that. But I just, I went in a totally abstract direction because of the things I've been watching and reading. Like, that's what was already in my head. And so when I heard this music and then listened to the lyrics, that's all I could see. And that's like this person who is a human walking around New Orleans at night becomes a vampire and everything has changed. Now, I I have to clarify for this. Correct it for the audience you have never heard the It's All Been Done podcast. I have not. Okay. Because their whole first album, they they sat there and talked about how B&L are actually a bunch of time-traveling vampires. So- <laughs> yes! This ties right in. Well, I'm going to have to start listening. And um, it, if It's All Been Done, guys, if you need me to come on. I, I, I'm now getting worried for the band. It's, I mean, it was all there. The lyrics were all there. The, my evidence from the books that I've read and the TV shows that I've watched, it's all there. Everything came together. And I just thought, huh, wouldn't this be interesting if this was like an emo version of somebody becoming a vampire? Like, it could be. I also think it's kind of to do with mental illness and just battling your own demons, really, is what I think yeah. it is. Yeah. But, well, you can make a parallel there. But as well. the picture that I saw, the evocative nature of this song, the the mm-hmm. accord. I was picturing one of those little um, Lady in the Tramp, the red box <laughs> accordions. You know that kind of sound. Yeah, it's a concertina. Yeah, maybe that's what it is. That's why we can't identify it. That's what I was picturing. Um, but then that banjo comes in, and I'm thinking, here we are. This makes sense. And I pictured Kermit. That's, yeah, I think that's what's really interesting because you hear the accordion, you think maybe Paris, maybe but then Paris. The banjo next to the accordion, very much New Orleans, very. Oh, much, I'm in the French uh, Quarter. Yeah, here we exactly. go. Which it makes me it makes me long to go back there. So Which much. made I, I me think. It. Yes, it made me think of um, Anne Rice's house and just that whole yeah. section and the vampire interview with the vampire and that whole thing. So. For ratings, I'm going to segue us into it. <laughs> How many vampires are we going to give this song? Oh, nice. And, 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 and Tracy, that's why I said, well, it kind of, I kind of have to get us there. So this would be too much to trade. That, um, no, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Brian, I'm sure you know because you're a longtime fan, but we do a, a rating scale from one to five, one being the lowest and five being the highest as to what we rate the song. And each week we have a different rating that we judge it by. And this week we're going for vampires. Nice. I, yes. Um, okay. Okay. I, I, I like it because vampires change too, you know, from human form to bat form. Yeah. So there you oh, go. Yeah. Nice sense. one. I didn't even think of that. <laughs> Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, and, and and I was all I was also gonna like make the uh, you know I think what's so funny too is is you know th- this song is you know obviously 
Um, you know, a, a great BNL song, but not something that's, you know, like been a super huge radio hit. And when you Google, you know, because I was trying to find like meaning, you know, see if there was any kind of official like interview or, you know, any kind of comments about the official meaning of the song. I was Googling and I kept coming across every the, the, the huge pop hit. Everything has changed by Taylor Swift. <laughs> I know. Me too. And like, no, that's not the one I'm me looking too. for. It's everything had changed past tense right (laughs) so brian how many vampires are you going to give this song on a scale of one being the lowest and five being the highest So i have been thinking about this all day i i I really have like what is my score going to be and uh, you know I, i i i'm torn because I really do like this song. I, do, I think this is a really good song. However, I really have to rate this middle of the road for me. And I, I, I know I'm probably going to come across as the, the uh, like, like, get off our show. You're, you're gone. <laughs> Don't come back. What the fuck? No, no. Someone has to drink the haterade. Yes. Well, you know, only... I hate it now. Hate it and then. Only because, like, the, the, I kind of reserve my my fours and my fives for the upbeat, you know, the the, the fun the songs I love, the belt out, like Alcohol and One Week, and it's all been done, and those songs like that. And this is just kind of a chill, kind of laid back. It's not that I don't appreciate it. It's not that I don't like it. And and you know the kind of the, the record, and that's just a personal preference. But the recording style with the the kind of you know acoustic kind of vibe. You know, I'm, I'm like, you know, I, but I do love that baseline, you know, playing pizzicato on the cello, um, for, for anyone out there who's not a music nerd like me, that just means picking the strings instead of playing it with the bow. Uh, <laughs> I, I do love that. I, I like the lyrics, but the lyrics are really dark. I do like it. Steve's voice. I think it, his voice is amazing in everything that he sings. I, I love the, the sound of his voice, uh, not to <laughs> go back, go back. <laughs> And I long for the sound of your voice. Go back to the sound of your voice and reference that again. But I do love the sound of his voice. And I think it's yes, perfect. Agreed. I think it's perfect for this song. The melody is. It's, yes. So it's a really good song. But I, I, I so I'm going to make it. I'm going to give it a three. It's a little bit above middle, middle of the road. Middle of the road would be like 2.5. Yep. So I'm going to give this a three. Yes. Good wow. job. Good yeah. job. Um, I, who wants to go next? I can give my rating cause I've got it. It's, I gave it a four. Like I like the song. Steven's vocals are gorgeous. And I just loved being swept away in this whole visual of the song. So that's, that's what I give it. Okay. Tracy, how many vampires do you give this song? <laughs> I really like this song. And I love the visuals that I've been getting throughout this podcast today. Every time I come back to this song now, I'm not going to be able to visualize it any other way and hear it. With Like, I'm going to hear all these different de- definitions every single t- time I come back to it. And they're all definitions of this song that I like. Even without knowing what this song means, I love this song. Um, mm-hmm. And I can't say why. This is one of those really weird, awkward different songs especially on this album full of really different songs that just like it jarred me it caught me and it put me in a good mood even though it's a dark song and i love (laughs) when when jim steven any of them in the bin do that where they they play this song that's really dark and make me feel good at the end of it this is another song throughout the week. I had to stop myself from singing with it in order to hear everything. By and the way, that... before we move away from this, there's something I just remembered that I really love about this song. Steven, when he's singing Everything Had Changed, he doesn't sing it on a normal cadence. He he holds off just like... like Everything had changed. Right. Yeah. It, it, you would expect it for him to hold it to certain... And hit to certain He's got beats. the Christopher... Walking, <laughs> it, it it's the Will Shatner of of yeah, so. my shit, my. Shit. <laughs> but really, it, it like it's like what what Frank Sinatra used to do, and all of those old singers used to do. They'd hit it on a different cadence than what you would expect, mm. and it made it their own. And he only does it with the verse. I mean, with the chorus, but it really is jarring the way he does it, and it's it's beautiful all the same for it. So 
4.1. Nice. (laughs) Nice. Okay, Aaron, how many vampires do you... There's a reason I had Tracy go for me, and it turns out I was right. uh, Because I was suspicious about something. I am not usually... The most enthusiastic or the highest raider. Oh! Everything had changed. Everything was strange. I am not always, but frequently the lowest or somewhere in the middle of the road. I like this song a lot. It's not perfect. I wouldn't quite put it up there with Enid or Alcohol or Brian Wilson, which are our fives. But damn if it's not close. I, this song especially really grew on me. Like I liked it immediately when I started listening to it, but the more I listened to it, there's another one of those ones that really kind of, I steeped in it, and it just really started to kind of leave its mark on me. I easily put it in the outstanding company of Call and Answer and Alternative Girlfriend, two songs that I also adore. Yeah. So I wholeheartedly award Everything Had Changed a 4.5 Vampire. Wow. 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 Okay. Aaron. Drinking. I, I am. You are loving the sound of Stephen's voice this week. (laughs) I love this. It was fantastic. So that puts the song at three point nine. You know what's awesome? The score three point nine. The average score puts it right Mm -hmm. below "As You Like It," which is a three point nine three. I think that's. Perfect because they both have that gorgeous, velvety, delicious feel that makes them both so yeah. great. Even though As You Like It is the whole album, but to me, it's got that same feeling. So I love, yeah. I love that it's that's where it's ending up. Yeah, I, 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 I do too. And I, you know, I think my, if I'm honest, I, I don't know. Like I, like I said, I was torn. My score. It might be a little low, so I feel good that you know I went with a three, but it's ending up at a three point nine overall. Yep. So like yeah. I, I think you're right. I think that definitely feels right. Perfect. Yeah. And we all have the right to love or hate any song that we want. <laughs> another so postcard. I just want yeah, to honor. Guys, if, if Michelle can give another postcard a one. <laughs> And, and, and I, I also think, want to I say, you can give this one a three, Brian, Brian I one. love that you just came in and hit the ground running with another postcard right <laughs> no. in the beginning. Like, I didn't even have to bring it up. I didn't even have to mention it. It already... What can I, that was what awesome, can I say? So. I have a thing for chimpanzees. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not weird. No, no, it's not no, not at all. It's just... <laughs> It's just a thing. Say, you're going to hurt Jim's feelings. It's just a thing. Uh. Oh, now, Brian, you saw him when he was doing his tour, Stephen Page, when he was doing his tour to celebrate the Vanity Project. And it's interesting that, so we have everything had changed on this album. Vanity Project, which he wrote with Stephen Duffy, he wrote another song called Everything's the Same. Yeah. <laughs> make up your mind steven make up your mind and you know and, and i i actually really love that album i love the vanity project album i, I think it's such a great uh such a great uh recording um but yeah no that that was that was super like i i mean i i'd never experienced anything like that before and but i i, I did uh it was i guess it was the year after that it was when they went on tour for I guess it was a everything to everyone uh, when I went on tour for that. I actually did get to meet the entire band. Um, uh, we did, you know, one of those things where you kind of wait outside, uh, you know, wait wait out back, and you just uh, you, you might get lucky, and uh, you know, there was a little bit of a crowd that kind of that, that hung out, and so we kind of hung out, and uh, you know, next thing we knew, like um, you know, they're the man, you know, or the the bodyguards or whatever, whatever they are, the people who you know, like, they're like, okay line up in a line they're going to be out soon and I, I don't know it was probably two hours or so after the concert ended they finally came out but every single one of the guys um stopped and chatted with every single one of us um i got to i got to talk shop with jim about uh you know what kind of bass amp he uses you know because i'm like you get such a great bass nice. bass sound and actually what i I thought it was incredible. Like he actually, um, he actually asked me, uh, he wrote down my name and my address and I kid you not. It was like a week or two later. I got, um, a co- uh, copies of, um, trunks 
and uh, what? Was, oh, oh gosh, wow. Sleepy Time, uh, Brothers Cregan CDs in the mail. And nice. I, I had actually already nice. bought Sleepy Time. I already had it. So that was like my second copy of Sleepy <laughs> Time. But um, I had did not have Trunks in it, and I fell in love with that album with the Brothers Cregan stuff. And uh, But it, that that was super cool. I mean, to, to get to, uh, to, to talk to those guys, and I, I'm just – uh, they're, they're really cool. The, the fact that they, they played a, you know, big long show. Kevin's uh, actually Kevin's parents were there that night. I got to talk to Kevin's parents. Oh, um, nice. oh, wow. Yeah. They actually came down the line with him. And I remember in the concert them wow. saying, you know, that Kevin's parent, this was in Orlando, uh, that Kevin's parents were there. And it, it, this is also when they did where they recorded every single show and you could go online and download it. So I have, I have the copy of the mm. show, you know, and everything. So it, it's just, I, I love these guys. They, they're they're um, they're definitely they're up there with one of my favorite bands of all time, and they're they're all just really really cool guys. But they they the fact that they took the time to talk to everybody, um, not just like okay you know sign your autograph, take your picture, and go. You know actually like actually just sit there and chat for a little bit. Like that was that was cool. Yeah, very cool. So would you like to tell That's us a awesome. little bit about your podcast and and give some some nice little plugs there oh yes it is all about the plugs <laughs> no actually it's actually it's all about the mouse is the name of the show <laughs> and yeah. um yeah, yeah no i i'm a super big super huge disney fan i mean i have been a a fan of of disney you know music especially but movies i mean since i was a kid but uh really like it, my my fandom really hit a peak with my love of disney theme parks uh and it was probably in my early 20s that i really started to get into the Disney theme parks as a fan. And uh, so anyway, um, so I, you know, we d- I started, I decided to start a Disney podcast and I had a co-host in the very beginning, um, Jonathan Dichter. Uh, so Jonathan, due to some, you know, just life gets in the way. He has an extremely hectic schedule. So it was, uh, I think it was the beginning of this year. He actually decided to kind of step down. So, I, you know, I'm still doing the show by myself, but it is a, uh, it is a uh, depending on where you start listening to the show. It was a weekly show at first, uh, but now it is a three times a week show. So there's shows on um, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday that are released. And Monday is our we call them our our, our feature discussion show. So you know there's always a, you know a specific topic that that we're going to talk about. This past one that actually just came out, we talked about. I had a guest on, and we talked about Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. It just opened up out at Disneyland, a huge huge event out there uh we talked you know all about that with um with uh becky minkin who is uh the owner of uh mei and mouse fan travel who is one of our sponsors uh but she's a super huge disney fan she was there for the big uh the big press event and the grand opening so we talked all about that oh cool and then uh wednesday is our you know disney news show and you know people who aren't disney fans will ask me like well what kind of disney news is there and i'm like dude there's news that comes out every single day (laughs) (laughs) you know it might not always be news that like you know your your average you know non Disney nerd you know really thinks is news, but I mean whether it's a new restaurant that's opening up or a new movie coming yeah. out or you know new um, you know news about uh, you know what they're going to do for you know an upcoming Disney Cruise Line destination or something like that. So we do the latest Disney news every Wednesday, and then Friday is a you know we we kind of we had a thing when we did weekly shows. Pretty much they consisted of in an hour and a half, it would be like a weekly discussion. It would be news. And then we would always incorporate some kind of just listener interaction, whether it was reading listener emails. Uh, we had a thing going on for a while where we would do like mouse calls where we, we called them mouse calls, where we would invite mm-hmm. people to s- email us in their phone number. And we would literally just call them out of the blue, just call oh, them wow. up on the phone and be like, Hey, it's Brian and Jonathan. And, you know, and we would ask them like, what's your, you know, we would, we called them, you know, they're all about the Mouseketeer interview. So we'd say, what's your favorite, oh my what's your favorite attraction? What's your favorite non-animated Disney film? You know, things like that. And it's just a way for us to interact with our listeners. So every Friday, it's something different. It's it's a loose, very, very loose kind of format on Friday. But, you know, I, I usually do something to do with listener interaction, maybe share some listener email, maybe read posts from our Facebook group and uh, maybe, you know, explore some of the comments that people have made on different topics and things like that. So it's a lot of fun. I enjoy it. It it allows me to kind of geek out like I, you know, about Disney kind of like I've done with B&L here for you guys. 
Um, but uh, but yeah, it's it, the name of the show is all about the mouse. It's uh, on iTunes and pretty much anywhere else where you can find podcasts. It's on the uh, the Filling the Void podcast network uh, over there, and um, as well as uh, the the home website, which is uh, all about the mouse central dot com. Nice, excellent. Well, I, allow me then to to kind of segue us to our outro with one question for you, Brian. Bringing it back to your your interview, as such as it was with uh, Stephen Page. What is your favorite restaurant in Disney World? Ooh, ooh, that's a tough one. Okay, ooh, good one. <sighs> okay, okay. So if I have. I, I have to put them into classes. I'm sorry. There's just way too many. So if I'm going for a ni- a really nice upscale, because I, I say my favorite is uh, the Yachtsman Steakhouse, which is over at Disney. I yeah. love the Yachtsman. Yeah. That's my, that is my favorite. But, you know, that's not for everybody. It's not even for every occasion. I, I, in fact, I've only eaten there, I mm-hmm. think, twice. Uh, <laughs> um, but, you know, it's a very nice uh, upscale kind of dining experience. Very, very good food. I mean, the steaks are on point. I, I got a, I, mm-hmm. the, the service there is amazing. I, I got a lobster bisque there that I absolutely loved. And I made a comment about like, oh, there's you know real chunks of lobster in it that were actually really good. And like the waiter, next time he came by, he actually brought me a couple of extra chunks of lobster. And I was like, no way. Oh, nice. <laughs> I was like, cool. Wow. That's, that's cool. Thanks, man. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I, I love the Yachtsman Steakhouse. But um, uh, you, you know, uh, I, I, I always kind of go to uh, Ohana at the Polynesian. I, I, I whether it's yep. breakfast or dinner there, I love that restaurant. Um, you know, and that's kind of more of a more of a kind of casual. I mean, it still can be a little pricey, uh, but it's definitely a, a little more casual than than Yachtsman Steakhouse. But uh, th- those are those are kind of my 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 two go to. But there's just so many great places to eat there. Oh yeah, uh, so many oh so many good ones. But anyway, that that is my long answer. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, that was that was great. All right, so let's see here. If I'm uh, everything has still changed, uh, let's see. <clears throat> I like how this week went, but it felt weird. I think we should go back to what we're good at here. So, Tracy, next week you're going to take back over for the intro and outro, okay. and uh, uh, yeah, we'll have Michelle do the ratings. Uh, that's that's kind of the same. Everything's the same, but it's also changed. It'll be just like old times, you know. Everything. In fact, you could say everything old will be new again. <laughs> <laughs> did, I, did I do it right? You did, did it I... well. That was very well done. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Oh, man, that was great. You, I, that's why I wrote a pun in my breakdown, because I, I had to give one to you if I was well, going to do the outro. Well, pun, thank so. you. Thank you. <laughs> I need as it's many hilarious. puns as I can. <laughs> <laughs> so can you do, actually, Tracy, why don't we, we snap it back to normal right now? Can you do our appearance for the week? Sure. All right, so really quickly, um, Bare Naked Ladies perform on Jim White's Alabama Chrome, mm. um, the song Alabama Chrome, and also on Phone Booth to Heaven. Uh, the latter is only Kevin and Jim. Um, the name of the album is Drill a Hole in the Substrate and Tell Me What You See. What a great name for an album, by the way. <laughs> That's an awesome album name, yeah. <laughs> um, on on Alabama Chrome, it's inter- it's. It's country bluegrassy kind of feel. It's different. They have Ed singing, uh, doing instrumental backing. They have Stephen singing counterpoint. Ed has a little rap session in the middle, but it does not really sound like them. Um, and Tyler's also doing the backing vocals, but it really it doesn't sound much like <laughs> them. Um, but when it comes to phone booth to heaven. Jim's playing the upright bass, and Kevin's playing the keyboards, the synth, the guitar, the accordion, and the saw. And this song very much sounds like a Kevin song. Like, I could have seen Kevin writing this song. Uh, he didn't. It was mm. it was definitely Jim White's song. But it go out there and listen to these. Uh, they're really interesting songs, and if you, you like to try to find Bare Naked Ladies in the backgrounds on songs and, and hear them, you're going to get a different experience with this one. It's going to be like everything's changed. (laughs) (laughs) And with that, I think we bring this episode to a close. But I want to thank everyone for being here. 
As always, I am your host, Aaron, and I'm joined by... Michelle. And Tracy. And, yes, and thank you very, very much to our special guest, Brian Ripper. Thank Brian, you, Brian. Thank you so much. It's, it's been, been a awesome. Thank you both. You. Yes. And uh, I'm going to write... I'm going to write some mail to All About the Mouse. So yeah, maybe yeah. Th- and thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed this. This has been great. Yeah, yeah awesome. come on anytime. It's a lot of fun. Yes, well, thank, thank you. you. Yes, yeah, we hope, come back. hope to have you on again sometime. And to everyone out there in internet world, thank you for listening. And we'll catch you Yay. next week. Bye, everybody. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Thanks, that was fun. Don't forget, no regrets. to do a little sync we do a one two three snap in order to kind of collect it in order to sync everything up okay one two three and then half the universe turns into dust (laughs) it's wonderful makes my job so much easier What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would they shop? Would they shop? Would you kill? Yes. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.